For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome into Center Court for another week in a kind of a special celebration today, Ralph. I'll get into more on that. I'll, I'll just provide that tease. But I want to jump into, uh, you're a media superstar. I mean, you spent three days with ACC production people? What is that? Right, they called us early in the year, and uh, I guess they wanted to do something that will kick off the I don't know if it's football or basketball season because they told me today they have recently passed away coach of the Florida State Seminoles, right? Right, um, Bobby Bowden. I spent three days, one day doing <laughs> uh, all the camp stuff uh, at Mass Nut, which is our last week of my summer camps, eight weeks in. So they came and videotaped a little bit of that. They went around Harrisonburg and videotaped the high school and all the other kind of stuff they did. Talked to Coach Berge, whoever they talked to. Wednesday, they came back to camp and videotaped more. And they got Coach Holland and Ann Holland and stories, whatever. And then today, I was on the lawn at the University of Virginia. They interviewed Ricky Stokes and Jim Miller uh. as well, and John Paul Jones Arena. And I was there as well. And Mac, so three days, they said it's a 30 minute show. I don't believe them. <laughs> me, Ricky, them don't believe it as well. So it was fun to be around, but to be able to highlight something and be the first legendary series at ACC Network this year is going to be fun. And I'll let you guys out there know when it's coming up because I don't even know the dates of it right now, but they try to get me to run up the rotunda steps like Rocky. And I said, no, that's not possible. I'm not yeah, that's not going to happen, right? That wasn't like me. So now like, okay, <laughs> plus it wasn't going to happen. I don't run anymore. So it's kind of crazy. Real crazy. Well, I guess congrats are in order because that's a that's a great tribute. But um, when you get the media guys involved and, and television guys, apparently, you know, they they want they right. want every shot, every sunset, every sunrise, uh, every every interview with everybody Everything. they can get. And then 90 percent of it will end up on an editing floor and you'll have a three minute piece that'll be perfect. <laughs> I mean, it's great because I mean, I walked down, let me get this shot. Just walk behind you. I walked in my old lawn room. Right on the campus, lawn room number six, and told them all the stories about that. Did and they then, open it for you? They Did opened you? the school, the university opened it for me. How about and that? The lawn room now they re, re uh, first all of them this year, and they have a refrigerator and a microwave. They still have bathroom, but down the hall. <laughs> but in my room number six, they have this uh, floorboard that you can raise up, and it's all these archives in it. So I spent some time this past year. I went back along and knocked on the person's door just to hang out a little bit. And they, they realized that it was under there. So the picture of me that I left in her signed autograph, many 83, man. 
Wow. And then there's uh there were bottles of bourbon. There was a beer bottle that people had left just their memories of them oh, on the lawn. Oh, so oh, you didn't you didn't leave it. I didn't leave somebody, the bourbon. Somebody no. else did. Somebody okay. else did. Somebody else did. I just left a note in the picture or whatever. But <laughs> I, I took a picture of the uh list of people that's in that room. So I'm gonna post that on social media. So everybody stay tuned for that. Oh, that's pretty good stuff. Well, a different show, a special show today. And and Ralph and I got to talking about, you know, 10 months comes and goes. And I was just saying, you know, Ralph, do you realize we're we're finishing our 10th month together? in doing the, you know, the show, uh, center court. And, um, I said, maybe you know, I don't want to wait for a one year birthday party. I want to highlight what we've done in 10 months. I it's in the summer. People are traveling. I, I you know, I, I wanted to highlight when I started to look at the list of the people that we've had in 10 months and the conversations we've had good, funny, political inside emotional, uh, you know, leadership and all the, when I started to look at the people we've talked to and the topics, this has been one heck of a 10 months. This has been one heck of a ride when you think about it. Well, you know, if we waited for our 12 month, we won't be back in basketball season. It'd be all about, you know, whatever <laughs> yeah. basketball related right. thing we get. Right. So perfect timing, good call, Matt, for sure. But, you know, that's center court. That's what we started off doing. We achieved that. Now we got to get into the phase where it's generating just more interest, more likes, people that like the show, we get more traction. So today's going to be a fun show. I yeah. Think well, all right. You're going to get a taste of greatness. And for some reason, this show had a propensity for point guards and Ralph and I will explain when we come back on center court, welcome into a celebration just because it's almost September and college football is returning. This is the Winner's Circle Network, and Ralph and I come right back after this. Hi, this is Mac McDonald, host of Center Court. I've known Ralph Sampson for over 40 years. I watched him grow as a basketball player, achieving greatness at the University of Virginia and at the professional level. I always admired his work ethic and the things he did to be the best. Since he founded the Sampson Family Foundation, so many people, young and old, have benefited from Ralph's efforts. The mission for the foundation is simple, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. If you'd like to learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is Samson Family Foundation dot org uplift empower educate it takes teamwork to make the dream work you're listening to center court with hall of fame basketball player ralph sampson once again here's ralph and mac welcome back to center court on the winner's circle network and i'm mac mcdonald with uh, ralph sampson as we said it's a it's an end of 10 month show of end of summer celebration just to kind of uh, we'll take you down memory lane and, and some of the highlights and moments that we've had on center court with some of the really just very, very interesting people. We've had musicians and leaders and managers and coaches, and, uh, you know, it's just been really, really good. But I wanted to kick off the segment. For some reason, Ralph, we were able in the 10 months to land three of the best point guards to ever play basketball in the Atlantic Coast Conference, Phil Ford, Derek Wittenberg, and Randolph Childress. Tell me about your relationship with Phil Ford. Where did that start? 
Well, Mac, Phil, Phil and I, I mean, I obviously watched him play the mighty four corners uh, growing up, but also in college and the NBA, first pick in the Kansas City uh, Royal, that, that Kansas City Kings at that point in time, and they became the Sacramento Kings. The number one jersey, the four corners, you know, his <laughs> iconic this way he played, Dean Smith, et cetera. But I got a chance to play with Phil in Houston and uh, point guard that we had there. And – you know, just the the way he carried himself, the, you know, five foot, 11, six foot, whatever tall he was, right? Mm-hmm. The cockiness that he had while he played, he knew he was Phil Ford, right? But he was also a a, a really kind, considerate guy that I bonded with, you know, when I played in Houston. Mm-hmm. And so as I tell the story when we interviewed him and he related to it as well, you could not run down the right lane on the fast break with Phil because he was going to twirl and his name was nickname was Twirl. And he was Twirl to the left and going down the left side. He would never see you down the right lane. So very special guy on and off the court. Obviously, North Carolina homegrown guy. We had him on. He'll he'll call anytime we, we want him. Mm-hmm. And just a genuine, genuine guy, right? Love the game of basketball, love life. And we be, created a bonding relationship over the years that's like brotherhood. There's no doubt he was a leader. Would you consider him Absolutely. a good listener Absolutely. as well? Leader and listener? All that. I mean, it's, it's still a career. You know, we all go through our challenges, but he's still on the court, off the court, uh, coaching with Dean Smith, coming back, living in North Carolina now. And we talk about it all the time. He said, big fella, you know, I, I, I get all these calls to go to these charitable events all the time, but they don't pay me any money. I'm like, <laughs> okay, good. I get that. It don't work that way. But he's, a, he's just a genuine guy. He's um, – you know, uh, it, it's only one Phil Ford. I mean, right. there's no, nothing like Phil Ford ever that can be duplicated. Well, it was on center court where he talked about Ralph and uh, what kind of player Ralph was. And, of course, his relationship with Dean Smith. The great Phil Ford. Put your four fingers in the air. You know, a lot of times when you get guys that are super ability like that, I mean, he had the gift from God with the size, the agility, the speed, and the quickness. He was one of the very first big guys that could not only go on the low block, but he can come outside, you know, where kids play now, pick and pop. He was doing that back then. He could run like a deer. And, you know, most times you get guys like that, they aren't really good teammates. You know, they're kind of selfish. And, you know, instead of building their teammates up, they kind of tear them down. But Stick was the perfect teammate. When we get to basketball, Coach Bill looks me right in the eye and says that I may have to play junior varsity my freshman year. And uh, when he left, my mom comes in my room and uh, she says, you know, we can trust Dean Smith. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, you don't even know who he is. I mean, what are you talking about? (laughs) So she says, well, you know, I've heard you and Big Phil talk and I know that's where you want to go to school. And if Coach Smith is going to let you go to North Carolina and you are good enough to play and let you play JV and give you a scholarship, you should be happy. And if you get to play a little bit your sophomore year on the bar stand, get to play a little bit more your junior year, let's say by the time you're going in to be a senior, you're going to be a senior at Carolina and you have a chance to be a starter, you, you can know that Coach Smith won't be out promising your starting position to another high school All-American. And, you know, she kind of kissed me and skipped out of the room and she was right. And that was just the start of a very relationship a relationship I had with Coach Smith like a father-son until the day he died. 
Ralph, like you, I, uh, you know, growing up and you start to watch ACC basketball. Of course, I was grown up at the time, but you start to you start to watch ACC basketball. As I said, Phil Ford was was as iconic as they come uh, with the way he handled the game and just really what he meant. And then when somebody builds a restaurant or a bar after the offense that you used to run four corners, <laughs> four corners. you know, on Franklin Street, um, you're you're pretty t- you're pretty good stuff. All right. Our second guard I just mentioned, Derek Wittenberg. That 83 run by North Carolina State, much to the chagrin of UVA fans and Ralph and the team that should have been in Albuquerque, uh, New Mexico for that final four, uh, probably to play Houston again. Uh, It was just so disappointing. But Ralph, you got to give Jim Valvano and Derek Wittenberg and Sidney Lowe and Thurl Bailey and all those guys, you know, uh, uh, Terry Gannon, you got to give them credit for the run they made in that spring of 83, even though it cost you a, a chance at a final four and maybe a national title. Well, you know, again, I've always said uh, over the years, looking back that there's two certain iconic games and situations that I've learned to like mm-hmm. and stop disliking and understand the magnitude of it. And you mentioned Phil Ford is one of the iconic guards. Great. But Derek Wittenberg is not a guard. He was a small forward. He was a shooting guard. He never brought the ball down point guard because he couldn't dribble. Right? He, he was on the floor. Thing. He was he one was of on the, the five floor. players, yeah. But he he loved to shoot the ball. He was you know six foot one, stocky guy, can jump out the gym, dunk the basketball, et cetera. But what an amazing run, Mac, that they had. We all know it as well, right? So when I look yeah. back at that, the Jimmy V story, their run getting into the NCAA tournament because they had to beat Michael Jordan. They beat us to get into the NCAA tournament. They would have never happened if they didn't do that. Right. They go along and make that iconic run in the NCAA tournament, beat us again, then beat Akeem Olajuwon and that group to win the national. I mean, it's crazy the run they were on. So, you know, if anybody about that doesn't believe in the greater power above, <laughs> then that year proved it all in once because they should have never got on the ACC tournament. Right. And Derek is – very, very humble. And, uh, you know, in, in the accomplishment of what happened, but he loved, he was always proud of the 79 class, mm-hmm. the 79 class, which you said was one of the greatest, you know, classes to ever play in, uh, in college basketball. And then, you know, of course, a lot of you guys ended up turning pro, but he was so proud of the class and, and just, it, it, it was like he wore that 79 class as a badge of honor. He does. And, and again, I tell a story all the time that I was not supposed to be a part of the Capitol Classic and the Washington, D.C. All-Stars versus the United States All-Stars. Mm-hmm. And it was seven or eight seven-footers, myself, Greg Kite, Sam Boyd, Tim Andre, the list goes on and on, Clark Kellogg, Antoine Carr, Isaiah Thomas, Ray McCoy, were all on the United States All-Star team. So since they were loaded, and they only had Wittenberg, Lowe, Thurabelli, Mike Tissos, Quentin Daly in the Baltimore area. They said, well, Ralph is close enough to be on the U- D.C. All-Star. Mm-hmm. So, okay, great. I'll go very important. <laughs> we ended up winning that game. That's Derek and our relationship started in 1979. Wow. At that game. And it goes on and on and on. And now he's you know, iconic, wins a national title. Movies, books, everything's come out as well. And, you know, over the V Foundation, we had Mac the president of the V Foundation on our show. Wow. When I'm here, that's telling all the stories that they're doing. And he just had his uh, 10th, 15th or so golf tournament this past week where he raised more money for the V Foundation and his iconic 
Darren Whitmer Foundation that they raise money for kids to go to school. So he, he he's a machine. He keeps going. All the best there, Whitmer, but definitely a kind of guard in the ACC. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here's Derek on center court talking about that 79 class and that magical run in the spring of 1983. Well, it, it, it was it was the way we won, and nobody thought we would ever be in that position. And then the personality of Jim Balbano, uh, here's this Italian guy coming to the South. Now, nobody, they, they took that for granted. That was a big decision by Willis Casey to hire a guy, an unknown coach from Iona College, to come down to coach in the South in North Carolina was a big decision. And it wasn't a popular decision. And here he is. He's basically, uh, you know, probably the second uh, minority coach in the ACC. And he comes down and, and he's flamboyant. He's happy-go-lucky. This guy is not a traditional coach. And for him to win, it was was incredible. Here's some of the things that people didn't know. We were the first ACC school in history to win the championship with all black starting five. What's also ironic about that time was that it was April 4th, which is 50 years ago when, when Martin Luther King was assassinated. So that game had so many significant uh, things about why it happened. And like you said, it was God sent, meant to happen. But the way it impacted the country, because we had people that you know, we gave people hope to see the David and Goliath story for us to win. And nobody thought we would win. And just this coach that came from nowhere and a group of ordinary guys. Now, we had a really good team, but we probably didn't have the most talented team, obviously, in the country. But for us to win, gave P all the underdogs gave hope and opportunity that they could be done. I still remember that 82, 83 year and you throw in Chaminade and then that whole thing in 83. It was a very, you know, it was a magical year. The Georgetown game, Chaminade, and then you go into 83. It was a, a magical, magical season, Ralph's uh, last season. Well, uh, a guard that made uh, he made history. It was a moment in 1995. He scores 108 points in three days. He establishes himself as a guy that Ricky Stokes recruited, but not heavily. But Randolph Childress became one of the best players in the ACC and a guy that I can watch his film all day long because there was nobody who had the onions that, uh, that Randolph Childress had. Hey, Mac, I mean, I know Ricky, obviously he saw something in him that he could play. And then I remember that interview very, very distinctly because mm -hmm. he talked about the ways he got taught to shoot in his form shooting and a shot and the same thing I teach kids all day long and shooting, et cetera. So I was that resonated with me and Randolph Children. But think about it. Ricky Stokes and I play together. Coach Odom was my assistant coach. He goes to Wake Forest and gets Randolph Children and Tim Duncan. <laughs> that joke is really lucky, right? He's really lucky. He gets two Hall of Fame basketball players that he coached as a coach. Right. So Coach Odom, I don't know what you did, but I thank you for everything you've done. Well, it was a match made in heaven in the mid-90s. Here's number 22, talking about number 21. Uh, you know, when he first arrived, we were told he was going to redshirt. You know, he mm -hmm. was supposed to be the guy that came in, and Maktar Njai and Ricky Peral were the other big guys, and everybody was 6'10 or bigger. And Timmy comes along and supposed to be this, this big guy from the islands of St. Croix, and uh, <laughs> he's going to redshirt, so don't, don't, don't worry about him too much. And we got in the gym, and when you saw him play, you were like, look, 
That Mactar guy is pretty good. <laughs> this Duncan kid is is really good. Like I don't know what you guys are talking about red shirt. Like this kid needs to play. Uh, Mactar and Jai couldn't play. He was ineligible as a freshman, and Timmy was kind of thrown to the wolves. And so once we got to that point uh, that he had to play, we spent so much time like, look, this is you know you kind of expedite this this learning curve. Like, hey, in the gym, extra work, uh, and then you know you, you don't you know when you got a talent like that, it's not difficult you just want to you know help him as much as you can and Tim was never overwhelmed or, or, or paralyzed with information so for him you know he could just take as much as you could give him and, and, and obviously the rest is history with his career we had really some inspirational people of uh, coaches and guys that uh, that talked a lot about about leadership and and uh, their coaching and everything that went on you know one of the guys that I thought was a lot of fun definitely a legend was Pat Williams uh, you know, something like 114, 115 books that he has written. His latest was on leadership. And, you know, Pat Williams wants to bring baseball to Orlando. Uh, you know, he, he, he had a great quote, which we'll get to when we wrapped up that interview. But boy, didn't you like Pat Williams? And, and, and have, have you known Pat Williams a long time? Yeah, Mac, I've been knowing Pat for a while uh, in Philadelphia because uh, Philadelphia was in the hunt at one time to get the number one pick when I was coming out of school. Mm-hmm that pick and got Moses Malone from Houston, which made me go to Houston at that point in time. So knowing Pat, his history for a while, I mean, with the Orlando Magic and taking a team, maybe a team there. Now he's trying to get a baseball team in Orlando as well. But, Mac, he told us, I think he did 100 and plus books, but he, he got 50 more he wants to do or something, <laughs> yeah. something crazy yeah. number like that. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. you sent me some, and you got 50 more books. I'm, I'm, I'm amazing that he's still got 50 more in him, but I like to see what he has. But his stories, you know, his, his kids that he adopted, uh, the things he has done off the playing field, off the, off the sports arena has been phenomenal. So uh, he inspired me and that show we did with him was amazing. Yeah. Do you remember, do you remember his quote that he closed the I show do. with? I do. I'm that, waiting you yeah. He, yeah. He, cause we were talking, you know, Pat, how much longer? And he, he uttered the quote that, well, he says, if you got a pulse, you got a purpose. Purpose, yeah. Yeah. Here is Pat Williams on leadership and a guy that, well, to this day, we still look up to. As long as you have a pulse. <laughs> okay. You have a purpose. Okay. And and I and I and as God as long as God keeps us around, uh, I don't think he wants us just to sit back and reflect and and uh, and, and just watch daytime television. So as long as our heart is beating, uh, there's a purpose to our life. And if your health is good, I think the best years of your life should be from the 80s to the 90s. If your health is good, you've got wisdom. Your children are raised. You don't have day-to-day responsibilities. Your grandchildren, you know, are probably raised at this point. Uh, you, you may not be working at, at a company, but boy, you've, you've got so much to offer. Yeah, very inspirational. Uh, Pat Williams, just a, a terrific guy. Going to transition into a coach that you have known for quite a while, a guy that, that you've liked and I think is pretty well-respected. I know Mike Krzyzewski even said uh, when they were coaching the Dream Team, uh, he was asked about his assistant coach, Jim Beheim, and Mike Krzyzewski said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's not an assistant. He's a co-head coach. He goes, he's too good to be an assistant coach. Uh, people, I don't think, understand the real Jim Beheim. I know you do. Uh, what a terrific guy. How terrific? Oh, he stopped 
after an NCAA practice to do our show from a locker room. How, how good was Jim Behan? I used to hate him because I'm like, okay, <laughs> don't, I mean, sugar, just style don't sugarcoat it. <laughs> I'm not, not, I won't because I, I still hate him a little bit for certain particular reasons, but, but I mean, how you play, how you, you just go down and play defense, you play a zone all the time. It's ugly basketball, but that's his trademark, right? Yeah. So he's been coaching for a gazillion years, but you play an ugly zone when you got the likes of Derek Coleman and all the boys you have, Pearl Washington, you play a zone defense and it's just ugly. And then you also, when, 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 when Tony Bay and UVA was getting ready to get to the final four and they had beat Syracuse on the regular season and they beat them in the NCAA uh, uh, regional finals with that ugly zone. Yeah. So anyway, I learned to appreciate him now. Ugly but effective. Because he's been able to do this for a lot of years, Mac. He's been able to do it for a long time. So Coach Bingham is a special person. And when we had to chat with him on center court, uh, naturally we had to ask him the one-and-done question and where is college basketball headed? Here's the coach of Syracuse, Jim Bayheim. It's really hard with one-and-dones, and I think with the G League's taking a few guys out uh, that hurts a little bit for guys that relate, you know, really rely on all one and dones. So I think that you want to have a program. You want to have a lot of good players and you want to try to get them to be veteran players. If, if they can, if you can keep them, in other words, you want to have your players good, but not too good. <laughs> and then uh, always you try to add that great player with the, with a group of good players. Uh, I love Jim Beheim. Uh, a coach that we're very close to and have been for a long time. And uh, I, I covered him as a point guard in 1980. Uh, then when I returned to Virginia in 96, Jeff was, was coaching uh, a guy that, uh, as I said, I just, he knows basketball and, and he has his entire life. And now we had a chance to talk to him during the COVID year and what was going to happen. Uh, with the COVID year and how tough it was going to be for coaches. Ralph, it, it's not easy, and it wasn't easy in 2020. It's still going to be kind of touch and go this year. But last year was not easy for college basketball coaches, was it? Well, no, it wasn't easy for anybody, but especially college coaches that try to get a season in. And uh, Coach Joan J.J., as we call him, is, uh, did a phenomenal job just maintaining. I mean, you know, he has some underlying health issues as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the statement he's made about how this team come together after the George Floyd stuff and how he managed that as well. I mean, we know J.J. is a special person. I mean, I was tell J.J., you threw the lobs off the top of the backboard. I had to go get it. look good. So we, we keep, keep going back and forth now. But Jeff Jones is one of a kind. Again, I mean, we have a brotherhood at UVA, and, and he's part of that brotherhood. And he's kept the legacy going on even outside of the UVA fabric with mm -hmm. all the players he's coaching. I mean, I can't say enough about J.J. because he's uh, one of a kind. One of the great things, Rob just touched on it, one of the interesting things that Jeff talked about on center court when we had him on, he, he said, you know, we're learning a lot now, not only from Black Lives Matter and what happened last summer in the COVID year, and now trying to navigate the waters of a college basketball season in a COVID year. Jeff Jones talked about the importance of leadership and communication. And with the social unrest that, that was going there. That, that was a whole nother sure. issue that, uh, you know, we had to deal with, but we went through it together. I, I guess that's the best way, uh, to, to put it. it. It wasn't, it wasn't me leading them by being, you know, way out front or anything. It was understanding that we were all in this together and we had to, we had to figure it out, 
um, and, 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 and work, you know, work together. Uh, you know, I've, I've said to, to the guys that I, particularly about the social, uh, social justice issues, um, that, that, uh, I wanted to lead from behind. And I, I don't know if that makes sense. I didn't want to be out front. You know, I didn't want to be the face uh, of, of, of our efforts, but I wanted our players, the, the young men that, um, you know, were, were showing leadership themselves. Um, I wanted them to know that I was going with it, that I supported them. I was encouraging them uh, to express themselves, uh, you know, to, to, to learn. Uh, you know, one of the things, quite honestly, uh, and I apologize, I kind of have veered left uh, okay, here. Yeah. No, this is, uh, but, this is pretty interesting. So, but, but one of the things that I found out about myself uh, is, is that my uh, education through, you know, one, one through college, you know, one, one through 12 and then college uh, about racism, uh, about social injustice, particularly about institutional racism was woefully inadequate. Ah, JJ, still having success and still coaching, still loving the game. We're going to close this segment with a guy that has been very, very close to Ralph and who told a wonderful story because, you know, Ralph, Ralph Sampson was competitive. He wasn't three-time college player of the year because he was just hanging around locker rooms. And so if you're going to talk about a player on national TV and you're going to say how much better he is than Ralph, <clears throat> Ralph may get involved <laughs> and that's what happened. Dick Vitale did the game where Jordan makes the steal against Rick Carlisle, throws it home, Carolina comeback, and Carmichael, yada, yada. We've seen it before. I think the Carolina-Virginia series was nothing but comebacks all the time, uh, either side. But Dick Vitale had to walk into University Hall, Ralph, and he ran into you. It turned out to be a great story, huh? I mean, <laughs> well, you, you listen to this, Courtney. I'm sure you're going to play up there. It was a great story because, yeah. Dick, you are. Uh, you know, I, I'm a highly motivated person on and off the court as well. And that quote, you know, still sticks in my cross somewhat when I think about Dick Vitale. And now, you know, after the fact, and I've seen Dick at Final Fours, we've done some stuff together, et cetera. I appreciate who he is and what he does, but I still look at him and say, Dick, I don't really like you, but it's good. <laughs> well, it was a great story, and only Dick Vitale can tell it because he remembers it like it was yesterday. In that game. I got so caught up with the moment of them coming back, him stealing the ball score, and they win the game the whole bit. I go, forget about Ralph Sampson. I said, the number one player in America, pound for pound, inch for inch, is Michael the Magnificent. Little did I know. You don't remember this, Ralph. Little did I know. I have a game coming up quickly. For the, uh, I don't know how what day it was. I had to go to Virginia and do a game. I walk in about two hours before game time. I'm walking into the area where the media goes. and You walk out of the locker room and you look at me and you go, there is Michael Jordan's PR agent. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the moment. I mean, nobody has to make an excuse for Ralph. Ralph was a terrific. Oh, I mean, you were a yeah. great college player. Thank you. Building a game plan for life. It's basketball and beyond. We return to center court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson.
Welcome back to Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. Mac McDonald, Ralph Sampson, good to have you along. It's an end of summer celebration. Well, I know one of the special nights that we had, uh, Ralph, because he was such a good friend of Terry Holland's and such a big part of the Atlantic Coast Conference was our conversation with Lefty Drizel. His son was there, Chuck, and, uh, you know, Lefty, he he loves you to a certain degree. I think, as you just said, degree, as yeah, you just said a degree. few minutes ago, I think he hates you a little bit. But uh, to use bit. your quote, but um, but lefty is lefty's lefty. There, there will never be another lefty, will there? Never. Iconic left-hander. I mean, he recruited me out of high school. He was at the doorstep when I announced I was going to UVA, saying, "Don't go to UVA." He and John <laughs> Lucas. And then I had a, a, the great pleasure of coaching with him, as you know, at James Madison University for a year there. And he left no stone unturned when it came I to bet. recruiting. So, very special person. But Mac, you remember that show? We surprised him with Buck Williams. Oh, that's right. Buck was on the show with me. So I right. talk about Buck and his spirituality and going off to this camp. And they went there with the team. And Leslie said, Buck, you tell them. You tell them they'll go uh, with us to this camp. And so that that's what Center Court is about. That show right there resonated very deeply in what we do. And that was special to have Buck on the show and also Lefty and Chuck. And they just hadn't maybe talked in a while, but it's great to see them that they talked on that show. And that was special for me. Yeah. And Lefty, of course, talked about recruiting Ralph Sampson, the recruitment of one Ralph Sampson, and that he just thought he was wasting time because he had a feeling that he would never get him anyway. Here's Lefty talking about the recruitment of number 50. I had one of my assistants, Joe Harrington, somebody left, right? So I had a vacancy on my staff. So I said, I said, maybe Lucas can can uh, recruit him. <laughs> so I hired Lucas for about six months. <laughs> so so he was my assistant, and I flew him up there to Harrisonburg to see Ralph. And uh, of course, it, I, I wasted his time and mine too, because Terry had him all locked up. <laughs> see, Terry, look, Terry Holland came to see him play every high school game he ever played in. Am I right, Ralph? Yes, he did. Oh, he's, you know, Coach Allen says his car knew how to push automatic and get to Harrisonburg every time I played. So he, he was over there most of the time. <laughs> I know. And I was over there about eight or ten times, but not every game. <laughs> it paid off. But, Coach, you, you remember, uh, you know, Mac, when I'm, I'm announcing that I'm going to UVA, it was down to four. Mm. I mean, you know, and, and I'll tell you, and Chuck knows what I'm talking about. So lefty Coach Dizelle is the was the best – college basketball recruiter in the world. He could recruit <laughs> anybody, right? So I'm I'm announcing where I'm going. John Lucas is outside the door of the building and said, no, 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 don't go to Virginia. Come to Maryland. Come to Maryland. Still, <laughs> as I already made my decision. Uh, I could listen to the left-hander, too, uh, for a long, long time. You know, one of the good friends of, uh, of, the, of really the basketball program, uh, of this program, and a guy that uh, just turn, every year turns out a book that's better than the last one. And his first basketball book was during the COVID year. As John Grisham explained, uh, we had no NCAA tournament, so I had to get my basketball fixed somehow. He writes Suley. And it was such, it was so great. He was on kind of a book promotional tour anyway, but it was so great to go inside the mind of John Grisham on how he gets ideas to write books. Right. And I know you've talked to John several times, uh, John is just a pretty special guy, too, isn't he? Mike, I'm still amazed that the legs of a John Grisham lived in Charlottesville, Virginia. Yeah. Area. And then you recall his, you know, in the, in his writing nest. So he was in his wife's office doing an interview that was really <laughs> special place to look like, right? Yeah. 
well, but I've seen him at the games on the front row, and he's really he, – he gets into the game, he, into the mindset of the game. And this Suley book being the first really basketball sports book he's written, I'm surprised he hadn't done them before, but I know it's stick with the, all the books he's written. And, again, I'm still amazed – and, and, and at the game, you walk by him and he gets so intense because, you know, you got halftime, you go back in the room, you meet with him. And he's going back, he's got to be in the seat, he's got to watch the practice, he's got to watch the warm-ups. And then they, UVA loses, he's pissed. He's yeah. pissed. He walks yeah. on the court mad. So he's all in it. But that book, Sully, I, I did read that. It was a great book. And hope you guys out there that uh, haven't got it, go out and get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got time. It's a great summer read. It's a great anytime read, actually. But here's John Grisham talking about his idea for Suley and how the book came about. Read this great magazine article about uh, this team from South Sudan, mm-hmm. team of 17-year-old kids coming to the U.S. in the summertime to play in the great big showcase tournaments against teams from around the world and. This one team from South Sudan just stole the show. Uh, they were, they, they won all their games by big margins. They played just a ferocious brand of basketball. They were, they were infectious with their enthusiasm and smiles, and the fans just loved them. And their coach was a good guy. Anyways, a great magazine article. And I thought that may be that may be the setting for a, a good story. And that's kind of where it got started. And I, you know, pieced together other elements of the true stories that I've heard about over the years. And and uh, finally, I had I was ready to go, or almost ready. And a year ago, when we when we were watching TV one night, and we saw those unbelievable words, "March Madness canceled," and I, you know, I thought that was illegal. You can't cancel March Madness. And uh, so suddenly, we had no basketball, and that was sort of my motivation to start writing the basketball novel. I needed a basketball fix, so I started writing. Jim Gray, who launched his career in Denver, he was a he was a TV editor. And, and as a 17-year-old, got an assignment to go interview Muhammad Ali at the Denver airport. I mean, that's pretty strong stuff, right? And he's got a book out that uh, I'm halfway through. It's really good. And, uh, you know, Jim was a guy, Rob, he, I mean, just very, very cordial. And maybe some people refer to him as, you know, Al Gro used to call writers like him or interview sharks that maybe he went overboard in. But I think you, just like you, I have a lot of respect for him. And I'm you have a lot of respect for Jim Gray, don't you? Absolutely. Um, you know, we reconnected when I was in L.A. for a while and at this nice uh, restaurant. And he's over there. More, and we just normally just went back to the friendship that we had. Right. Mm-hmm. And numbers again and, and build that friendship to another level. So, but Matt, you, you mentioned that he, 17, 18 year old kid, sees the iconic, the GOAT, the real GOAT, greatest of all time, Muhammad Ali, and he does an interview with him and builds that relationship with him yeah. over, over many years where he could call him for an interview at any given time. And he's built that relationship with multiple celebrities and athletes all over the world where you know you can trust in Jim Gray that's going to ask you the correct questions the right way so you don't look stupid. So he'll be a for life. We'll get him back on one of these days, but he's a special guy. Yeah. And the fact that because I asked him the question about, you know, asking the tough question. And he also talked about the Pete Rose case with us when I say the case, because there was a lot of fallout with, uh, you know, with the all star game and the fact that Jim Gray was interviewing Pete about the Hall of Fame and the gambling scandal. One Jim Gray. I wished it had gone different. Obviously, Pete, you know, was lying. And has acknowledged that uh, in his book, and mm-hmm. acknowledged that with me. Now, uh, we did an interview for the for the book, 
and uh, he, he acknowledged that, you know, he handled it wrong, but that by admitting that he had gambled would have been his immediate banishment for good. So he felt that he had to continue to lie. Otherwise, you know, he wouldn't, you know, that he, he thought they didn't have the goods. Turned out they did have the goods. And, uh, you know, so he went about it in, in, in a wrong and inappropriate way. It's, it's um, never pleasant to be at the eye of a storm or the hurricane. Mm-hmm. I think that it's never going to end, but eventually it does. And then, you know, all of the destruction that, that, that was around, you know, gets cleaned up. So uh, it, it, it was a difficult time. And, uh, you know, but I learned a lot about myself and learned a lot about others. And while you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy, in, in some ways you're glad you, you go through it in retrospect because of the lessons that you learn. All right, we'll go to break. We'll come back. This is Center Court with Ralph Sampson on the Winter Circle Network. So stay with us. We'll return. To get into sports casting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet. It's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one. Full Sail University, great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting, I don't think, will ever change. And this program brings it all together. Welcome back on the Winter Circle Network. And this is Center Court. It's been a heck of a 10 months. And, you know, I I couldn't get everybody in today. I I just could not get all the people that that I wanted to get. When when you start to look at the names that we've had, I mean, it's really been an all-star group. Well, you guys out there listening, just go back to the podcast. If you want to listen to all the other previous shows, you'll find them on Spotify and all these other networks. But, Mac, the like of Harry Tuttle, Clemson all-time great yeah. play. This story was crazy phenomenal, right, as yeah. far as his career. Life after he leaves the NFL, he's, he has a hard time, et cetera. To a Perry Tuttle, to mm-hmm. a Daryl Green, the iconic risking guy that has been on here as well, to – Isaiah Thomas to Brian McKnight. Brian McKnight Christmas show was off the chart, right? That was crazy, crazy, crazy. So I thank all you guys that were on the show. We got more to come in the future here if that makes sense. But B.J. Armstrong with another good show, Mac, that we just oh, had. Yeah. Chicago yeah. Bulls play with Michael Jordan. Had the podcast show out there as well all over the country. And also he mentioned to us maybe in China or overseas somewhere. So we, we got to get our show over there too to make this thing work. But the guests we had previously on this show are amazing, and there's more amazing guests to come. Uh, the last couple, too, Cedric Maxwell, and then, of course, Dolph Pulliam with his amazing story. Oh, my God, yeah, that was great. You haven't listened to that one. I got great reviews on that one, man. Uh, yeah, it that was, was amazing. Uh, how, you turn, how you turn down the Celtics, and I'm like, I'm still down. I turned down the Celtics and Red Arback and the Dallas Cowboys. And the Dallas Cowboys. And the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, Dolph Pulliam was great. Um, all right, before we go, uh, we have mentioned it on this show. And, uh, you know, so proud of what's going to happen in Charlottesville. And uh, I know I'm going to have to figure out a way to run a tab up there. But Ralph's Restaurant is uh, 
have you have you circled a day? Are you on schedule? I got a, a million questions. Are you on schedule as far as construction and the Amer the Ralph Sampson American Tap House? Well, Mac, you know these days you can't be on construction. Number one, you're never really on construction uh, on construction schedule and stay on schedule. Two, the pandemic and all the stuff you got to purchase to get there is way off schedule from that mm -hmm. standpoint. We're still trying to find the cheers for the area so i do know and i can't give it all out there you guys got to come see it that there will be a picture of university hall somewhere in this building with ralph's house on it it'll be small it could be large i don't know but come check it out the actual picture the actual of the words of ralph the, house written on the, yeah, on the, on top. the top of the yeah, university hall. yeah i have a picture in my office actually of that same picture so there's pictures out there where but that's awesome i, I wanted to be that but oh, it's gonna be a special place that's not about me and University Hall is about, about me and, and just the, the legendary University of Virginia and the history of the athletes. I say this all the time. I was asked in that show with Raycom Sports today, Mike said, what's, this, what's the significance of University Hall? I said, it's a camaraderie of the athletes that play sports at University of Virginia because we were all in one building. <laughs> yeah, we weren't all on separate you know, individual courses, but we were all in one building. So the football players, the, the track players, the, the baseball players, et cetera, et cetera. And then we walked along today and I had a swimmer and Val Ackman, all those guys. And we have Val, Val Ackman on here as well. I we forgot. Can, That's we exactly miss her. right. That's but right. Uh, we were all on the lawn together hanging out in my senior year. So it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, really good stuff. Well, it's been fun. Have a good week. I mean, it just we, it never here. stops, right? We start another 10 months uh, next week, yeah. right? And I think we should go 10 months, then we start a new whole new year, right? <laughs> we got to get it going. All right. End of summer celebration was a lot of fun. For Stick 5-0, he is Ralph Sampson. I'm Mac McDonald, and that's Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.